Hello and welcome to the Evolution of Business podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Brady, and I'm here today with Jessica Lewis. Jessica is the principal publicist and owner of Lalu Public Relations and the Rock the Future communication specialist at the Children's Agenda. She's a 2018 Athena Award finalist and a woman to watch for the Democrat and Chronicle newspaper. Jessica is a successful entrepreneur owning the fastest growing black-owned public relations firm in Rochester, New York. Lalu Public Relations is a full-service PR firm specializing in media relations, marketing, branding, web management, social media, and community engagement. Lalu serves a variety of clients and has landed client appearances on WROC News 8, WHEC News 10, WHAM News 13, Spectrum News, Democrat and Chronicle Newspaper, City Newspaper, and more. I think that covers about all of them now. Jessica's success was recognized by the Rochester Business Journal as a small business feature of the week. Jessica is also the host of Ujima Rising, which is how I first met her, and that's a television show that features black-owned businesses and real-life stories of entrepreneurs. Jessica received her bachelor's degree from Buffalo State College in Social Studies Education grades 7 to 12, and a master's degree in Teaching and Curriculum from the Margaret Warner Graduate School of Education at the University of Rochester. Jessica holds membership in the Rochester Association of Black Journalists, the Democrat and Chronicle Young Professional Advisory Council, and the Theta Omega Sigma Alumni Chapter of Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated. Wow, that is uh, that is quite a bio, and uh, and there's there's a lot to it. I, we were talking before we got started about how she uh, organizes it all, but I guess we'll start. You, you're, I'm looking here at your bachelor's degree in in social studies education. So, how to give us the overview of how you went from that to uh, all the many things that you're up to now? Okay, so funny story. Um, when I was in high school, um, I loved history. I loved my social studies classes, and so we had our um, department chair. Her name is Mrs. Noonan. She used to push into our classes and she would show us pictures of her travels to Egypt on the overhead projector. And when I was younger, I always said to myself, I want to be just like Mrs. Noonan when I grow up. <laughs> so I went to school, got a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in social studies education. But once I graduated, um, I decided before I go into the classroom, I want to get real world experience. So I wanted to do other things um, before I went into the classroom. And so here I am, uh, 10, 11 years later, still in the real world experience, <laughs> um, doing what I love to do, which is communications, uh, PR and travel. And as we were speaking before, I just got back recently from a trip to North Africa, which included Egypt. So Mrs. Noonan, I got to see the pyramids just like you. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So is there is there any thought of, of ever going back into, into that one day after you get your real world experience? You know what? I have considered it on multiple occasions. Um, I do want to, I want to get back into the classroom, but now there's so many standards like with it, Common Core. Um, I would have to do everything over like student teaching and get all of my, you know, the, the workshops and the, the certification. I would have to do that all over. And I'm just like... <gasps> Do I have time to commit to that again? You know, when you're an undergrad in grad school, that's all you're doing. But I'm working full time. I have a business and I just don't know if I'd be able to commit the time needed for that. Yeah. Yeah. So in addition to your business, though, you are still working with uh, with students and education. So tell us a little bit about your your day job before we get into all those different side hustles that you got going on. <laughs> okay. So I'm the communication specialist at Rock the Future. Um, Rock the Future is a community-wide initiative focused on improving educational outcomes for students in the city of Rochester. So we are Rochester's collective impact table around education. 
Wonderful. And then how long have you been there? Two years. Oh, okay. So so you got a little bit of experience in terms of continuing on that really focused on, on students and, and, you know, our future uh, in Rochester. But but I first met you, it was actually at a, at a Kwanzaa celebration this past year. You were just about to kick off your, your Ujima Rising show. Um, so tell us a little bit uh, about both the, the, the PR firm, but also how this concept for, for Ujima Rising came about. Okay, so Ujima Rising. Um, Craig Carson, who serves as our producer, started a blog, uh, The Black Business. He was he kind of uh, dubbed himself as the Bob Critic, Black-owned business critic, but not in a negative way, in a positive way, really, to give positive feedback to uh, Black-owned businesses here in the community. Rajesh, who works at RCTV, saw his post online and contacted him to see if he wanted to turn the blog into a TV show. So they talked and figured everything out, and then Craig contacted me to see if I wanted to be the host. So that's how Ujima Rising was born. Um, So we go out in the community, we interview local um, business owners about their experiences, and we ask them about Ujima, which means cooperative economics. Um, Ujima is one of the seven um, principles of Kwanzaa. Um, and so we really try to focus on those principles because not only should they be celebrated in December, but really all year round. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I remember hearing about it uh, at that at that I think we we're at the Museum and Science Center. Yep. And and hearing about that whole ethos of cooperative economics. And, and one of the things that really struck me, there was, there was some statistics that they, that they showed about how, you know, because of the, the way that the, the business community is set up, that a lot of times when the dollar comes into the black community, it, it's, it's out very quickly, whereas a lot of other uh, communities are able to, to circulate those dollars because they can shop locally at, at businesses owned by, you know, by, by folks that, that are, are like them. And so I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, uh, with what you're trying to do with Ujima Rising, I'm guessing is is trying to let that dollar circulate in the Black community for for a longer period of time. Um, but but when you're when you're out there doing that, what are, what do you see are some of the major barriers? Okay, so you are absolutely right. Um, we can look at communities. We can look at Brighton, for example. It has like a, a high population of people of the Jewish faith, right? So if you go into Brighton, you can literally find a Jewish-owned bakery, a Jewish-owned cleaners, you know, anything that you need right in the community. So those folks are able to keep their dollar within their community. When it comes to the African American community, we are spread out. We're less concentrated traded in the city but we also know that there's high poverty rates you know so there's some different barriers there um with this show what we want to do is really get the message out that um we know that there is a high buying power in the African-American community. But what happens is that when we get our money, we're likely to go to the local Asian-owned restaurant and spend our money there. Or we're going to a big box store like Walmart. Or we're going to, you know, a store in Brighton or Pittsburgh to spend our money. So we do have businesses that can offer these services. But for African-Americans, we have to be intentional about where we're spending our money because we so easily spend our money in other communities. And so that's the whole purpose of the show. And we're trying to give these um, business owners a spotlight like, hey, here's a vegan restaurant that you can go to on North Clinton. You know, so if that is your lifestyle, here is a place that you can go. Um, If you want to get soul food, there's a place on Thurston. If you want a burger, go to Zox Burgers. (laughs) Don't go to McDonald's. No shade McDonald's, but you guys are making a lot of money. You know what I mean? So that's what we're trying to do with our show. 
Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's been one of the things that that has really struck me as I as I watch different episodes is each one of these business owners is really focused on giving back to the community or helping other entrepreneurs rise up. Um, is that something that was an intentional choice with the with the folks that you're deciding to highlight, or does that just seem to be a, a theme in the black owned business community? I, I'm, I'm curious because I because I was really inspired by that. You know. I can't say whether or not we're being intentional. I think that would be a, a question that our producer could answer since he <laughs> arranges all of the interviews. I think it's just something that has um, has just happened, you know. Um, we interviewed Chris Williams. He's the owner of um, Gamers Nostalgia. You know, he does a lot. His business is very unique. Um that is just that, a gamer's nostalgia. You know what I mean? But he hosts a lot of events and, you know, does um, gives back to the community. Just so many of the business owners that we've interviewed over the course of the year, um, I think they're just doing that. It's just a part of who they are. Yeah. yeah, And, and it's really important, too. You know, I, I know I think when when you're talking about trying to encourage more local entrepreneurship, you know, in the neighborhoods, how do you how do you give folks the the right the right training, right? Because you can you can certainly start up a business and maybe have a good idea and maybe get to a certain point on on pure hustle alone, mm-hmm. but at some point you do need either either mentors or training right. or, you know, some kind of learning a little bit about putting the business plan together or getting learning about the the accounting things that need to happen or how to be a better salesperson, all those sorts of things. That is so true. You know, like you said, most people go into business because they have a passion for something and they're good at something. So they have a gift or a talent and they're trying to figure out a way to monetize it. There's nothing wrong with that. But on the other side of business is the business part. You know, even as a business owner for myself, there are areas that I still need developing. You know, there's still areas that I know that I need help in. And so I am not afraid to go to score. You know, there are workshops that they have to offer the Q Center, Center for Urban um, Entrepreneurship nourship to get the help that I need. And so I'm just, I'm very grateful that our community um, really has a lot of resources. Rochester is definitely resource rich. Yes. And, and I've, I've seen a lot of those resources as well. And, and it does seem like there, there, there's plenty out there. Uh, at the same time, I, I feel like many of them either might be overlapping in certain, in certain cases where they're, you know, doubling up and, or they're just underutilized period. Uh, so what do you see are the, are the biggest barriers to, I, either awareness or getting more people into some of those classes. Um, wh- what's holding What's holding it back from using all those resources? Okay, well, one thing that I would say is that those resources need to hire Lalu PR to get the word out <laughs> about their workshops and their events because what's happening is that they have a certain distribution list that they're sending their workshops out to. And if you are not on those distribution lists, you don't even know what's going on. So I just so happened to learn about SCORE, I think through Q. And then I was able to get a mentor Jane Sutter. You know what I mean? And so now I receive the information, but there's a ton of people, you know, who aren't. And a lot of those um, organizations, their demographic is white people. So the African-American community is totally unaware of what's going on just quite simply because their message is not reaching this demographic. Yeah. Simple as that. I've I've seen that quite a bit. I I, I have seen that quite a bit around town. And, And so when you're doing some of these Ujima Rising episodes and you've got some great business owners that maybe are trying to, in their own grassroots sort of way, help rise up future future business leaders and, and maybe, you know, mentor some some future entrepreneurs. Uh, are are they able to 
get in with some of those organizations or encourage people? Is Have you been able to kind of help connect some of those dots between uh, the, the folks that you're, that you're interviewing and highlighting and, and helping them to uh, connect to some of those resources? You know what? I can honestly say that we could be doing a better job at that um, because we often don't talk about the other resources that are available. We are often um, talking about their stories, how they got there, what advice they'd give to other business owners and how they would... Um, I mean, I guess what advice they would give to other business owners. So I would say we could definitely do a better job at that. Okay. Okay. And and has there been anything as you're as you're putting these shows together and interviewing folks, has there been anything that, that surprised you? You know, you've kind of got this this first season under your belt. I know that you're continuing to 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 do tapings. What surprised you as you've been out interviewing these these business owners? Um I guess it's not so much that it surprised me, but I've been learning a lot from them. Um, you know, when you go there, you have your camera, you have your questions ready and you're ready to interview them. But what you get on the other end is just invaluable just to hear their stories. Um, some of their stories are absolutely incredible. People who have turned their lives around, um, people who, um, you know, have had certain experiences in their lives and then they take that, which could have been negative, and they turn it around for a positive and they use that as momentum, as fuel to keep going to do what they love. And it's just so inspiring. Yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of barriers to overcome. I mean, for for any entrepreneur, but certainly there's there's a lot of stories where where you've got some some pretty remarkable people and, and the things that they've overcome and found some success and certainly hoping to continue to continue to grow as they're, as they're moving forward as well. Absolutely. Now, as you're looking to the future for, for Ujima Rising, what, what are you dreaming about? Is there, are there things that, is it continuing to do more of these shows? Do you, do you want to expand it or build some kind of community around it? What, what, what could happen in the future? Yeah, so we um, were definitely um, looking to interview more business owners in the community. I know our producer, he kind of wants to get like, he wants to do something like a street beat. So we want to interview people on the streets around the businesses, you know, to see what they think and just kind of keep our pulse on what's happening in the neighborhoods and in the community. So we're thinking about adding that component to our show. Um, We just want to keep it fresh. We want to keep it new. Um, And, you know, and if there is anyone listening who would like to be a guest on the show, we're definitely uh, more than happy to interview you. Um, So that's what we're trying to do. Wow. So I, I, we were talking beforehand a, a little bit about this term that, that I throw around a little bit, and I, I appreciated your question uh, because it made me think about it a little bit more deeply in terms of creating more inclusive prosperity in Rochester. And, and when I think about that, you know, people talk sometimes about these, these two Rochesters where, uh, you know, you can open up the, the front page of the paper one day and it can talk about these great new developments going on downtown or this great state money, that this great investment, whatever's, whatever's happening. And then the next day you read about the struggling school district or the high rates of childhood poverty or you know, any number of things. And, and so for, from my perspective, the, the prosperity that we're seeing in certain pockets of the community is not going to be sustainable if it's not inclusive for everybody. Uh, I mean, that's one of my strongest beliefs and, and, and why I think that from the conscious capitalism perspective or from the, you know, the Ujima cooperative economics perspective is we need businesses need to be a part of that inclusive prosperity. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about 
how you see inclusive prosperity in Rochester. Obviously, there's, uh, I mean, we could have a whole series of podcasts about about some of the barriers that are there. But um, w- what are you seeing in in the businesses that you're that you're interacting with, whether with Lulu PR or whether with uh, Ujma Rising? What what are you seeing as as some of the barriers that are keeping that that inclusive prosperity from from happening? Um, a couple of things. Again, I think it's lack of awareness to resources that are available. Um, I think there is a culture in the African-American community, um, you know, that really guides how we do business. Um, I think that there is implicit bias on the other end of um, folks who um, are well off, who have money, you know, who have um, flourishing businesses. Um, I think there's issues with lending um, and getting money when you need it. Um, I think that, I mean, like you said, there's just a number of barriers um, when we think about inclusive prosperity. And, you know, we know the differences between um, equality and equity. And it's like, how do we make the playing field more equitable? Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, that's a conversation. Like, how do we do that? Yeah, yeah, and and I'm really interested. I, I'm always trying to either find business owners or or as you're mentioning, you know, we we've had on on previous episodes of the podcast folks like uh, like Denny DeLeo is is at the the Venture Jobs Foundation trying to invest in companies that are either willing to move to high poverty neighborhoods or giving some of that that training. And the Center for Urban Entrepreneurship is, is out there as well. But I mean, financing is is definitely a, a big barrier, and and of course. Uh, you know the the implicit biases and, and those sorts of things. I think I think definitely play a really strong role, especially in Rochester, where we are a very segregated community. Uh, you know, I think when you when you are spending time with someone, uh, you know, sitting across the table having a cup of coffee, or you see your your neighbors down the street, it's it's a lot harder to to otherize those folks, right? right? And, and so, because we are a very segregated community, that that becomes a big issue. Um, and there's there's places in the city that people won't go or won't frequent. And so um, is that how does that play into some of the work that you're doing in terms of uh, getting the you know getting the dollar to circulate around the black community? I think that it'd be a, I, I think that that's a, a noble goal. I think it'd be even better if we could bring some folks from the suburbs and you know come to Zox and, right and 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 to, and to get a burger there and rather than going to McDonald's or whatever um, you know the case may be. And so. Is that been, did you think about that at all uh, in terms of, um, you know, the distribution channels and the, and the PR, is there any types of try, trying to have outreach uh, to the, to the broader community or is that something to think about? It's, it's definitely something to think about. I think our goal for Ujima Rising is just trying to reach the black community yeah. so that they know um, that these stores exist. Because as I said, you know, um, folks in the African-American community are very quick to spend their money um, at other establishments. And there's nothing wrong with that, but we just want to make sure that there is a concerted effort, um, you know, that people are very intentional about where they spend their money. If you think about uh, where you spend your money in the course of a week, can you name two to three black owned businesses that where you've spent money in a week's time? And if you can't, that's a problem. You know what I mean? So, again, changing the mindset so that, you know, people are really aware about people are usually not aware about where they're spending their money. They're just getting coffee. They're doing this. They're going with their everyday lives. You know, you're not even really conscious about that. But being intentional, I think, is just something that we're trying to really promote. Yeah. Show. Yeah. Now, now, is there 
uh, are there questions that you ask of your of your audience? Because I think that that's those sorts of things in terms of some of those reflections would be would be very powerful. Is that is that part of kind of cultivating this this community of of, of you know viewers? Absolutely, and see that's why we want to do the street beat. We got to talk to the people on the streets because that they're spending their money too. They're walking up and down. We know there's a lot of corner stores in the city. Those are owned by folks from Yemen. You know, there's a lot of um, different things in our city neighborhoods and people are spending their money there. So we have to get a pulse of what people are thinking, what they're doing, um, again, to try to infuse that message, to try to get some changed behavior. And in my day job, we call that collective impact. Mm. Yeah, so so let's let's broaden the, the the scope of the discussion. Then that's a great that's a great transition because what I'm thinking about in terms of conscious capitalism is you know businesses that that stand for something that have a purpose beyond making profit uh, that care about the stakeholders you know surrounding the com- the community the employees the customers you know not just over focused on the stockholders or the bottom line uh, and and so in this conscious capitalism mindset in terms of how business can be can be a part of, of that change can be a part of more inclusive prosperity. So what do you see as kind of the the role? I, I have a very idealistic view of, of the role that, that businesses can play, but what do you see as the kind of role of businesses in the world and, and the impact that they can have? Well, I'm going to put on my Rock the Future hat for a moment. So um, as I mentioned earlier, we have the State of Our Children Address coming up in November, right? And so we know that Kids today must be prepared for the present and the future of tomorrow, right? So when we think about what's happening with um, students in the RCSD, we know that the rates are low. That's a given. But we need to think about the systems that exist, you know, that they're under, that's causing all of this havoc that's going on in RCSD. When it comes to the businesses, they can't just be... um, operating in isolation. The businesses can't operate in a silo because this is your future workforce. If your workforce um, is not reading on grade level, you're less likely to hire them. We know what the um, what the data says about our black and brown children. So, you know what I mean? There cannot be a disconnect between the business world and the education world. We have to be preparing these kids to be the workforce that these businesses need to succeed in the future. You know what I mean? And so even at Rock the Future, We have the chamber represented. Um, We have J.P. Morgan Chase. Like We're trying to get um, representatives from many different entities in our community to be on our board so that we can hear from you, you can hear from us, and we can work together collectively to really make a change for our students in the city of Rochester. Yeah, it's it's so important, and it can be so so short-sighted. You know, I've I've seen all kinds of – I think that the chamber, actually, they brought someone in from the the Fed a few years ago that showed – some studies about how some of the investments that get made in early childhood education are some of the highest ROI investments that you could possibly make in terms of, you know, the the cost savings down the line when you are actually preparing someone to be a contributing member of of society and in all those sorts of things. And and so it's so short-sighted when we when we save save a penny in the sh- in the short term and then end up paying for many many more down down the road. Um, but but I'm thinking as well when you're talking about the the consumer awareness, right? Because there there needs to be an awareness from the people that are that are buying, you know, the the, the viewers of your show or, or or anyone around the Rochester community. There needs to be both an awareness and a 
sometimes a little bit more work, right? To figure out if these, who the, who the business owners are that you're supporting, what they stand for, whether or not your values are aligned with, with those people that you're supporting and, and kind of vote with your dollars a little bit, right? So, so tell me a little bit about what, what are some of the things that, that you consider maybe when you're, when you're looking what businesses you want to support, what are, what are some of the things that are most important to you? Some of the, some of the values that you look for? Um, definitely a quality product, um, quality service, um, and I guess who the person is. I mean, for me about cooperative economics, like, are you black? (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, I'm very, very conscious about that. Like, so I make sure like when it comes to my business with Lalu PR, everything that I do, any, any time that I need a service or something done, I always make sure that I go to a black owned business. So for example, like the person who did my website, black person who did my shirts, black, the person who designed my business cards and brochures, black, the person who printed my business cards and brochures, black. Like I'm just very intentional about that because I can't be the face of a TV show and not practice what I preach. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's a piece now of creating sort of the, the authenticity of your message, right? Because if, if, if you're looking at in where you're spending your dollars, uh, you know, and, and being part of that change and, and, and setting that example. And yeah, maybe it takes a little bit of extra time either to do the research of, of who owns this business and or to, you know, find the right person because you're, you know, the, the first couple ideas that come to you or the first couple businesses that you find may, may not fit with your values. It takes a little bit more time. Uh, maybe it takes a little bit more, more money or effort, but, but you have to, uh, you have to practice what you preach. And so, so that's really, really encouraging. And, and I think, we need uh, to not underestimate the power of every individual doing that uh, because it, obviously it feels small when you're doing it. Oh, I'll just get my business cards, you know, on Vistaprint, the cheapest place I can find or whatever like that um, and nothing against Vistaprint. But, you know, what, what other options are there that, that may, may not have this, the slick website and maybe I do need to call them up or, or, or whatever it is, but mm-hmm. at, least I'm, at least I'm buying in, in a way that reflects those values. Absolutely. So when we're when we're talking about this this Ujima ethos or conscious capitalism ethos, why do you think it is that that more businesses aren't adopting that that type of mentality? You know, you, you see, especially with with some some larger businesses out there, they get they get demonized and in in a lot of cases, rightly so, because the the way that they're operating isn't very uh, values driven or isn't very purpose driven, doesn't really care about the community, is focused on the bottom line. What do you think holds holds companies back from from doing that? You know what? I think it's like what you said before, because everybody's concerned about the bottom line first. Everybody is trying to make money. And so however you do that um, and however you're successful at it, that's what you're going to do. And so if you're less conscious about the community, but you're still making money, you're not going to care because it's not you know impacting you. But when a company... Um, is very conscious about what they're doing and they actually step out. I think it's very respectable. Do you know what I mean? Um, and it's a matter of where your intentions are. Like I wanted to bring up the Nike situation and ask your opinion about that in terms of what they did in supporting Colin. You know, was it a calculated business move? In my opinion, yes. <laughs> you know, are they trying to make a statement? Yes, but they know who their demographic is and they knew if they supported Colin Kaepernick, that the black community would go out and spend all their money on Nike sneakers because they already were doing it. So what did you kind of think about that? 
Yeah, it's so it's it's funny because when I talk about uh, when I talk about Nike in the past, you know. I was always thinking about a very seminal kind of moment in my early childhood where, you know, Nike was really well known for excellence and performance and, and all these sorts of things. And then you, you found out that they had all these sweatshops in, you know, developing countries and how badly they're treating their workers. And you're like, oh, well, how excellent is that? You know, how, how aligned is that with their vision and mission and, and this kind of marketing push that they have? And, and so that's one of the things that I think makes conscious capitalism, makes Ujima so uh, compelling, is that in today's day and age, you can't keep those things a secret anymore. Everybody's got the <laughs> smartphone in their pocket. Everybody's got the, the camera and the, the ability to broadcast it around the world. And so when those inconsistencies show up, People can tweet about it. People can post about it, and and those sorts of things. Those sorts of things happen. So I think that's why a lot of these companies that for a long time have been more focused on being purposeful and values driven, they're starting to to rise to the top now. I mean, the whole the whole idea that got conscious capitalism a lot of uh, a lot of notoriety was that these companies by doing business in this purpose driven, stakeholder driven way. They're also making more money, and so I don't think, as you were saying, I don't think that's a it's a bad thing to you know not be you don't want to be chasing the bottom line, but it, it shouldn't be something that you're ashamed of that you're making money while having a, an impact in the world. And so, from the very beginning, when I saw that this whole Colin Kaepernick situation happening, and and you know it becomes so polarized, um, you know there's there's a, an element where a lot of companies. They, they do need to take a stand. And for, for Nike, especially being the official provider of the, you know, of the NFL, of all their apparel and everything, to be taking a stand directly against the NFL uh, is, is a pretty strong statement. And, and like you're saying, is it a, is it a business decision? Is it, is it probably looking at not only their current demographics, but the, the trends for the future? Maybe so, but... I, I was still I was still applauding the move, you know, to to see them willing to take a stand because yeah, in the short term it is going to hurt. There are going to be the the people that post, you know, on the other side that are burning all their Nike jerseys and and that are posting about that, and, and that they are going to have to you know come to terms with that. And so I think that it's a as much as it, it may be that that decision that is helping the bottom line uh, in the in the long term, anyways. There is going to be some short term pain, maybe. Uh, there is going to be some some alienation, but I just see I see it as such a possibility for the future with more companies uh, that feel like they have to take a stand. You know, I, I I've seen this quote attributed to Michael Jordan, and there's there's some uh, some question whether he act, whether or not he actually said it, but he never took a stand on anything because he said something along the lines of how both Democrats and Republicans buy buy shoes, and so he didn't want to take a stand and, and want to alienate one uh, one demographic versus another. And I think that it's a lot harder to stay neutral these days. Yeah, I can agree. Um, it's so funny because I was on a panel for ESL and Score, I don't know, last week or something about um, like small business owners, how you can acquire and retain um, new customers. And and we kind of touched on the subject, you know, should small business owners be taking a stand, you know, on certain things? And, um, you know, for me, I think when you're a small business owner, uh, your risk is a little bit higher. Absolutely. <laughs> than a company like Nike who can afford to take it. Um, but I think you're right. I think that they um, they set a precedent. I think an example. I, I think that more companies. Um, I think they will consider um, doing that, taking a stand. Whether it's going to be that 
big, that great, you know, I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens in the future. Um, but but sports has really become like the stage of like just all these things happening in society. I, I don't know why, you know, I don't really follow sports that much, but it, it's definitely um, become a stage, you know, for these types of conversations. Yeah, I, I, I've been thinking about that a lot as well in, in sports, you know, because in some ways it has become that stage of, of political uh, debate. But then when you think back in terms of, you know, the the Jesse Owens of yeah. the world yeah. and, and, you know, those those sorts of things or Jackie Robinson or whatever, whatever the case may be, you're thinking about these folks who, you know, once they were finally given the chance to to play on the biggest stage and when when the rules are set in sports where, you know, you you do have to think about all the all the barriers they had to come through just to get to where they are. But once they're on that field next to anybody else, the rules are the rules are the same for for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if if you can at least take away the maybe the bias of referees and those right, sorts right, of right. things. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's always something, but more more equitable than than other arenas maybe, right. or or at least that the the, uh, the equity is is right in front of you. You know, mm-hmm. you can't, it, it's, it's a lot harder to, in, in the business world to have such a, a stage with, with, with rules that are set, that are, that are exactly the same for, for everyone. And, and to, uh, you know, to, to make that so transparent, right. I guess, is part of it. So that leads me now as we're thinking about, about businesses. And, and I agree, larger businesses have a, an ability to to take some of those risks and gambles, whereas small business owners, maybe they're just trying to put food on the table and they, and they don't ha- they're not sit- sitting in that type of seat. But tell me a little bit about you know we've we've talked about a lot of the different things that you've worked on to talk a little bit about your about your PR firm. But tell me a little bit about how and why you started that uh, the, the the PR firm, and then maybe how you try to integrate some of these principles into the work that you're doing. Other than obviously you're mentioning you know being very intentional about the people that you support. Mm-hmm. So um, Lalu PR was birthed during a transition phase in my life. So prior to working at Rock the Future, I used to work at Urban Suburban. Now I went through the Urban Suburban program. And, an, and I am a proud graduate of Arondequay High School. All right. <laughs> and um, an opportunity came when their community liaison specialist was retiring. And I was just having a conversation with their director. I think she was planning an alumni panel, had asked me to be on the panel. Then I was asking her, like, well, how are things, you know, how's things going at Urban Suburban? And um, she told me that I should apply. So I was like, okay. So um, I was working at the Urban League at the time, running their after school college readiness program. So I've still always been in education in some way, shape or form. Um, And I applied and I eventually got the job. And so when I started at Urban Suburban, I was the community liaison specialist. And so the primary responsibility of that job is basically to facilitate the application and the orientation process when students apply, you know, who live in the city to go to school in the suburbs. Um, And then um, we had a tuition reimbursement program. And so my supervisor, you know, she had been there for 20 years. She's like, I'm looking to retire soon, but we have this money and I don't want it to go to waste. So what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to go back to school for? I'm paying like student loans on my undergrad degree, my graduate degree. I'm like, nothing. But she was persistent. She's like, no, spend this money. What do you want to do? And I'm like, okay. So I really had to pray like, Lord, I know I didn't grow up and say, I want to work at the urban suburban program. So like, what are my next steps? Like, what am I supposed to do? And so 
it dropped in my spirit like I love to talk and I love the camera. So I was like, okay, I'll be a journalist. So I thought I was going to be the next Janet Lomax. Okay. And so I had an opportunity to shadow a reporter at News 8. And um, it had to be the coldest day ever. And we were outside. And I was like, mm, nope, I'm not about this life. So I had to go back to the drawing board like, okay, what am I going to do? And I just so happened to, um, I had enrolled in a PR course. Um, at that time, that following semester with Dresden Angle. And she was a phenomenal, phenomenal um, instructor. And she talked to us about her PR firm. And I was just very inspired by Dresden. Um, And so that's how Lalu was kind of born, just the concept. Um, Black and white, I just, I wrote it out. And it's so funny because I actually sent that um, summary, if you will, to Craig, who was the producer of Ujima Rising. This was years ago. And I'm like, Craig, what do you think about this? And he's like, do it. Just go for it. And I'm like, I'm scared. And he's (laughs) like, don't be scared. Just go for it. And um, shortly thereafter, Lalu was born. And I was like, okay, it's now or never. And so... Voila. <laughs> wow. And, and, and that, I, I think it, maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, but my feeling anyways, it, it, it is scary to get started. And that, that never quite goes away. You know, you're, you're always, you're always uh, a little bit struggling internally with, with all your, all your, all your demons, so to speak, mm-hmm. and, and struggling with, with those sorts of things in terms of your confidence and things. So is, what, is, what has been a, a game changer for you? Because you've been at it for a while now. Uh, what, what has been able to help you get over some of that, that initial worry? Um, honestly, like so many people reach out to me. I have like never advertised Lalu PR like as a business. And um, I think it's because people see that I get results for other people. They see what I'm doing for other businesses. So they reach out to me like all the time. Um, and now I'm getting all these requests to be on panels and to moderate, you know, things that I would have never thought before, you know, they're just coming to me. So um, I'm just so humble. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. And like you said, there's still fear even now. This is why I'm still working full time because I'm scared to really step out, you know, and it's like, I know I need to do it. But again, it's just that apprehension. There's feelings of doubt, all of these things that should not be always somehow find a way to creep in. One day I will overcome it and I will step out um, and just go full force with it. Love it. Okay. Well, how, how then in, 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 we'll talk about kind of looking forward, but looking back over the last few years, as you've grown as a, as a, I mean, as a person, but as an entrepreneur as well, how have, how have you evolved or how has your, uh, your methodology or your kind of ethos evolved in, in terms of what you're, what you're working on and what you're focused on? Yeah. Um, it has grown tremendously. Um, first off, I never consider myself the entrepreneurial type. I've always been a nine to fiver, very comfortable. Please give me my paycheck every two weeks. Um, give me my benefits, you know, all of that stuff. But my mind has changed. I've definitely become more conscious, you know, about, small business, what that takes, just the mindset, again, um, conscious capitalism, as you call it, and or Ujima. Um, I, I've just, my awareness and my awakening has just been so great over the past couple of years. Um, I would have never, you know, just imagined that I'd be here. You know what I mean? And so while you're doing things for other people, you're growing just as much. Like I said, when I do those interviews for Ujima Rising, I'm like more in awe than they are. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh my God, you know, I'm inspired by them. You know what I mean? So it's it's reciprocal in that sense. Absolutely. So is there anything that you can point to that has uh, 
been either either books that you've read or it sounds like uh, Dresden had a pretty strong influence on you. Are there any things in particular that, that you can think of that kind of helped push that evolution forward? Um, I guess there's a person. Um, and her name is Yasmin Maddox. Oh, <laughs> yes. All right. Um, I think... Um, just working with her at the Q Center, um, just seeing everything that she's doing because she's also an entrepreneur um, and she's so super smart and just, uh, I, I just, I love her. She's definitely an inspiration. So I would have to say her, like a person in particular, not really like a situation, but definitely Yasmin. I love it. All right. Shout out to Yaz. So I guess as we're, as we're starting to get a wrap, wrap up with a, just a few minutes left, is there any advice that you have then for, obviously you see your, yourself with other entrepreneurs all the time, with Ujima Rising, with, with Lulu PR. What would you recommend to somebody who is trying to get started and, and how would you maybe help mentor them so that I'm sure there's, there's all kinds of seeds that you're planting now that um, future, future episodes, people, you, just like you're giving shout outs to, to Yaz, that people might be giving shout outs to you. So uh, what, what kind of advice do you usually give those folks? Well, first, I would always say um, don't let fear, doubt or anxiety hinder you from doing what it is that you want to do. If you have a passion for something, you can definitely turn it into a profit. Um, and I would say, make sure that you kind of have a game plan. Like what, what is it that you want to do? Um, you need to really have your ducks in a row when you are, um, exploring or stepping into the world of entrepreneurship, because it's not easy. Things will come your way. You know, there is no set schedule. There is no nine to five when you are an entrepreneur. It's like you're on all the time. Um, and you have to really be prepared for that. Um, just coming in here and listening to this young man talking about working 70 hours a week, like that's real. You know what I mean? There's going to be highs and lows. There's going to be busy times and there's going to be times when they're dead and you're like, oh my God, hello, does anyone know that I'm here? You know, but always stay the course. Don't be discouraged by anything that may come your way. Just remember your purpose and what you've set out to do. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Josh at Wicked Squid Studios for the 70 hours he's putting in and, uh, and still able to, to help us with the Evolution of Business podcast. So now that we're, now that we're looking to your future, uh, we, we talked a little bit about maybe what the future of Ujima Rising might be. What, what do you see for the future of, of you personally? It sounds like you might want to turn this, uh, this side hustle of Lulu PR into, into your full-time gig, but maybe five to 10 years, what's, what's success look like? What are you dreaming about? Oh my God. I don't know. <laughs> just trying to make it day by day. Fair but, enough. Okay. Yes, but definitely, um, I want to do Lalu PR full time. You know, I want it to be a household name, like how you think about Dixon Schwabble or Tipping Point or anything like that. Like, that's where I want Lalu to be. That's where Lalu will be. Um, because I'm the kind of person that I'm just like, if I want something, I go for it and I go hard and there's no stopping me. So you just look out for me in five to 10 years. How about that? All right. I love that. I love that. Well, and, and, and it sounds like anyways, if you if you want to be that household name, you're going to have to start hiring employees and growing the business that way. And, and that that's actually something that, that I'm I'm dealing with right now. That's kind of the spot that I'm in is now running out of running out of hours in the day and, and needing somebody to, to help out, which is always the struggle. Um, but but that's a, that's a big step. So I, I applaud 
I applaud your your ambition and your your drive, but but I think it's also important as we were talking about earlier for any any of those people listening is that that fear never goes away, right? right? <laughs> that, that that fear is always there. It's always holding you back a little bit. Uh, and so don't, don't be afraid to get started or, right. or don't, don't expect the fear to go away. And, oh, as soon as I'm not scared anymore, then I'll get started. Cause then you're never going to get started. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so I, I'm thinking, uh, as we're kind of wrapping up here, where can folks go to, to learn more about Ujima Rising, about Lalu PR, maybe even about Rock the Future? Yeah, definitely. So Ujima Rising, you want to stay connected to our Facebook page because that's where you're going to find the most um, up-to-date information and, and videos and pictures on our shows um, with Lalu. Also, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, um, LaluPR.com um, with Rock the Future. Um, the website is rockthefuture.org. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. Um, if you're interested in seeing what the results are for this year, um, we will be producing a report card at our State of the Children address on November 15th at MCC. Wonderful. Well, I know that we're we're both working in, in similar directions, trying to highlight those business owners that, that really embody Ujima, really embody that, that conscious capitalism. So I, I'm going to have to ask you afterwards, uh, I'd love, to, love some future interview guests for, for folks that I could bring on to, to hear about their own, you know, their own ethos and, and how they've evolved as leaders, how their businesses have evolved, and, and really their perspective on, on why Ujima, why conscious capitalism is so important. So thank you so much for coming in today. It was a pleasure to talk with you, and I, and I hope to really be uh, working together more in the future and hopefully uh, seeing Lalu PR become that household name in the next few years. <laughs> Too. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Wicked Squid Studios, Rochester, New York's premier podcast development team. The Wicked Squid family brings ideas to life through the art of audio production. From custom jingles and creative services to studio memberships and educational curriculum, their outfit strives to empower all members of society to build a more equal and colorful world. Learn more about their operation at wickedsquidstudios.com.